You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I'm the producer of this podcast. In today's episode, Candace and Cher further their discussion on what it means to have an abandonment wound. Listen in as they share stories and describe this painful wound in more detail. Hi there, Cher. Hey, Candace. Good to see you, girl. Good to see you today. Been talking about the next few episodes that we're going to record. We're all fired up. We're feisty. So uh, we are. So yeah, we apologized in the beginning. No, no, I'm not apologizing. (laughs) Okay, we won't apologize. Yeah, because and I'm going to just say this. I feel like I have held back in bringing my voice my Mm. whole life and I'm getting freer. This topic is so important. We even said like, we might have a really fiery podcast episode today. And I hope that's the way it comes out. I really do. Well, we feel passionate about this because it has been, well, let me just pause. We are talking about the abandonment wound. And this particular wounding has influenced and in one sense controlled every aspect of our life and our relationships, especially our relationship with ourselves. And you mentioned last week, even your relationship with God. And so bringing this topic, knowing that we can also heal from it does allow us to bring that passion and our voices to the table here. Yeah. We not only want that for ourselves, we do want it for other people. Yeah. The emotional pain that we carry over something that we, for many, many years, couldn't even name. We would say, what is wrong with me? Not what did I go through or experience that has left me with feelings? You know, I think I'm going to stop right here and just read what one guy described as his abandonment wound, just to give our listeners a glimpse of how, how serious this is, if you can identify. So abandonment wounds come with feelings of fear, shame alienation, rage, deep grief, and often leads into depression. I'm going to add in multiple ways. I used to say and still say I developed an arsenal of coping behaviors to avoid those feelings. The abandonment wound, that pain can send us into our flight, fight, freeze, and fawn responses. But here's what, here's how this guy described it. The fear that comes from the idea that I will be abandoned or rejected or the realization that I have to be dependent on others for acceptance or the thought that I will feel this scared and depressed forever and ever. It coils in my stomach like a 12-foot python and constantly slinks in circles dragging against my insides. It's paralyzing. It makes my head feel like it will explode. And all I want is whatever will make the fear stop. And no matter what the cost. Cher, when I read those words, a few things happened in me. One, I resonated. Mm -hmm. I know that level of fear 
that I did whatever I needed to do to make that feeling stop. And then I also felt the gratitude Mm. of I get this now and it is not what's wrong with me. Mm. It is why this developed, how it developed, and the hope that I can, I can do something about it now mm-hmm. that does more than just cope. I can heal. Yeah, you can heal and you are healing. Mm-hmm. And I am reminded of the words that we have said many times that we are all born looking for someone who is looking for us. And every, every child is born looking for the face of love. And when we get it, we, we grow and we develop in healthy ways. And when that is not there, whether it's in infancy or at whatever point throughout, particularly early childhood, but I will say even into teen years, if that is broken and we are looking for eyes and there are not eyes looking back for us, we go into a panic mode. Mm -hmm. We go into some level of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and we go through life searching for eyes that are searching for us. I have spent my whole life looking for someone who would be looking for me. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that there weren't at times people looking at me, but by the time that happened, I had guarding in place. Now everything went through a filter that said, I don't trust you. You look like you're looking for me, but I don't believe you. It was this bind of wanting it so bad. And then even when tastes of goodness were offered, not being able to really enter it or receive it and experience the good gift that was even offered to me. Yeah, because you actually did have experiences of some goodness in your childhood and it always came at a price or it always came and then it was taken. So the unpredictability, am I going to be abandoned or am I going to experience a bit of goodness and then it's taken away? Of course, you wouldn't trust it today. Right. Or you haven't historically trusted it. We'll talk about this on the next episode on how that's been healing for you. Yeah. But to know and understand our stories, And you mentioned this in our last episode, and I want to say that whether it was intentional or unintentional is kind of irrelevant in a few ways. One being the effects as a child are going to be the same. So whether we had an intentionally neglectful, abusive parent, or whether a parent that you were closely connected to ended up in the hospital for months, the feeling in the child's body is still panic. It's still, I'm losing connection with my safe place or the one that I was meant to connect with. Our brains are wired for connection. And so no matter how that rupture occurs, it's still going to be the same message to that child's body. Yeah. And that message in the child's body is one of anxiety or another word that we're really embracing is alarm. Oh, yeah. In the body is this sense, this ongoing 
day after day sense of alarm and always being wary of things that are happening or can happen. And so just just going through life, feeling mm-hmm. that sense of something bad is happening or something bad is going to happen and I have to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we got fired up this morning as we were talking about this is the tendency for society, actually the tendency that we have ourselves to minimize the harm, the hurt, the pain that comes from the abandonment wound. And we recognize that it is so painful to name that maybe our parents were neglectful Mm -hmm. or even to name they were intentionally abusive or to name, you know, that it was an intentional, unintentional, but we, we were still hurt and harmed by it. We hold so much compassion and understanding for how hard that is. Mm -hmm. But you and I both know that if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Mm. And the truth is we do have stories sometimes that we absolutely need to blame our parents for. Yeah. And this is hard. I have a friend who said to me one day, I am not going down that story work path because all I think that it's about is blaming your parents. Well, I'm not going to go down that path. And I get it. It's hard. We don't want to blame our parents. We don't. I don't want to blame my parents. And even though the abuse was blatant, Mm -hmm. I struggled to blame my parents. So I'm not saying this is an easy thing, but. Sometimes laying the blame at the feet of the abuser or of the one who abandoned is really important. We've we've said many times we have to name it. We have to name the truth. Part of naming the truth is saying this parent did this thing that has altered every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. And the wounds have gone so deep and I have struggled in all of my relationships and the things that I long for most deeply in my body and soul and spirit, I cannot get regardless of how hard I work for it. Yeah. And the complexity is that we often think that when we blame someone for something that they truly were responsible for when it comes to our parents is this idea of honor they father and mother. And we can't honor our father and mother if we're not telling the truth. Yeah. I I want to just send people to the Adam Young podcast. He mm. he talks about this quite a bit and and really has helped me in understanding what what has been happening for me that it's so hard for me to name. Yeah. But I want to just share that I have taken some things to my own mother that were situations that I got harmed and it was her fault. Mm. And that has been a process, but Cher, it has only because she responded in a way that opened up space for us to work through this. I feel compassion for her. I have moved into forgiveness Mm. and I only want what's good for her. But if she would have minimized Mm-hmm. Or she would have blamed me in some way. Yeah. 
we wouldn't be able to connect in the way that we do today. Yeah. And that's the beauty of repair. There was rupture in your relationship. You went to her and you made her aware of that. And she was willing to work toward repair, which is beautiful. When we move toward repair, these deep, deep wounds can be healed. That's the big hope. That's the thing that can happen. Doesn't always happen. Doesn't often happen. I will say for myself, I went to my dad. I named what he had done and there was denial. And until the day of his death, he did not ever come forth and own his part. And and that was very hard for me. Yeah. And I want to just say it was hard. Wow. I'm getting teary about your story right now. It was hard for all of us. Mm. We wanted a repair for you in that Yeah, because children always want that. Yeah. They do. And when we come to a point where we really have done everything that we know to do, and it's still not moving something forward, there, there's a, a death. You had the physical death of your dad, but there was also some emotional death that you had to let go of that you're now you're not going to get that. Yeah. And lots more to say about that. But I have something else that's sitting in the back of my mind that I want to make sure that we bring up. And that is when we talked about sometimes we do have to lay the blame at the foot of a parent. Sometimes we do. I think another thing that also can be very difficult is owning that we were victimized. Mm hmm. And, and partly that's hard because we have this thing in our culture where people will almost mock and say, oh, she's such a victim or don't be such a victim. I guess I want to even say like, if somebody is playing the victim, like maybe it's important to go and say like, okay, what's the deeper story here? Mm-hmm. Because nobody wants to play the victim if there's not harm there. I, I, I would have a hard time believing that. But what I want to say is that when we have been victimized, we have to own that to some degree. I I remember when I shared some of my stories and I shared them in such a matter of fact way and was ready to just move on until others who heard my story stopped me and really emphasized the fact that I was a victim here. I I wasn't there. I wasn't in that moment to take care of anybody else. I was the one that needed care and did not get it. It was very hard for me to really find a sense of peace in being able to say, in that moment, I had huge needs for a parent to come and bring care to me. And that did not happen. And that's the thing that I think is so important is that the care that we needed in that moment, we go forward in life still needing that particular care. Mm-hmm. And, and not the same way, obviously, but now, 40 years later or 50 years later or whatever, when we share that story and the kind of care that we needed all those years ago, when it is offered now, in five minutes or 10 minutes or, or, or two hours or two weeks, those deep, deep wounds can begin to heal. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I resonate with you. You know, I spent most of my life refusing 
the idea that I was a victim. I wouldn't be a victim. I would not have a victim mentality. And unfortunately, I think, well, I don't think, I know that I could not hold stories of somebody that had been a victim. And so when we talk about being a victim as a child, we were helpless, we were powerless, and we were voiceless to get ourselves free from a situation that was harming us. Yeah. We were children in that. Right. We were children. And so we grow physically and we've got our adult bodies. And so what happens is it is true that we can hold on to that victim message and mentality that we're still hopeless. We're still helpless. We're still powerless. We're still voiceless. And it does take compassionate witnesses, wise guides, people who've done their own work to help us see that we are not in that place anymore. We were a victim and being a victim caused us to believe certain things. And so I love what you're saying about slowing down and having compassion for people that are in that space as an adult and really just get real curious because there are some payoffs and benefits of staying a victim. But we have to go in that with such precision and compassion and clarity to help that person get a sense of where they're at now. And it's so important and it, and it's, it can be very difficult to find these deep places of wounding. One of the areas for where I have struggled a lot through my life is being able to really speak my truth or being able to really use my voice to speak my needs and to be passionate about something, you know, to, to come forward with a high level of, of passion. And you, you mentioned we develop beliefs. And one of the beliefs that I developed in my childhood was that if I express myself with passion, with anger, that that would be the declaration that I was just like my dad, who Mm -hmm. was very rageful and very hurtful in his rage. Mm -hmm. And that if I express myself with passion and with a powerful voice, that proves it then that I am just like him. And so I, at some very young place in my life, that got bottled up. And I could not use my voice. It got cut off. It got splintered. It got fragmented. And we've done some episodes on parts work and IFS. And, you know, we we can talk more about this maybe in our next episode. But what has it been like to welcome her back home? It's just been a beautiful journey of welcoming this part of my soul that was fragmented, this passionate part who fights for justice and wants to bring healing so much to the people who have been wounded. It's been a long, slow process of me being able to really welcome her and to invite her forward, but it's been beautiful. And I just have such deep, deep, love and compassion now for that part of of my soul that has needed her voice welcomed back to the world. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm grateful that I get to be a recipient of getting to know her and and watching her heal and grow and find her voice. And I was kind of laughing internally when you were sharing, and that also means that 
there's times you're bringing her to me that I'm, I'm having to hold. Okay. She's got some passion going on here and some emotions going on, but it's helped me to slow down. We've had some rupture and repair. And because I know your stories, even though I might get dysregulated a little bit, I'm like, oh no, that, that's that girl coming forward because she loves me. Yeah. Because she cares about me. Mm. She wants good things not only for herself, for me, but for us and what we're doing through processing trauma out loud. I know we've probably gone over our time and that's okay, but we are going to record another episode on what does it look like to heal the abandonment wound? Yeah. So good to talk about these things, Candice, and really important because this abandonment wound is sneaky. And I think a lot of times we don't recognize that this is the wound that we're dealing with. So good to talk about it with you. And I, mm-hmm. I can't wait for our next episode. Me too, friend. Love you. Love you too. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. One last thing, if you have found this podcast helpful in any way, or if you have questions on how to take the next steps on your healing journey, please reach out to us via email at CandiceShare at gmail.com. That's K-A-N-D-A-C-E-S-H-E-R at gmail.com. Music was created by Kayla Paxton, and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Audit Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.